Hey, good morning, Rock. Hey, if you weren't here last week, um, I encourage you to go online and listen to our podcast because we, we started a brand new series called Follow, like Brett just talked to you about. Um, but one of the things that, that we did was we're going we're gonna to approach this series, and for some of you, it's going to be kind of uncomfortable, um, you know, if you've been in church for a long time because we're following it as if the Bible didn't exist. And, you know, that sounds funny in church, um, but it, it's what we're going to... Uh, you know, try to do, and what's interesting is how you and I got our Bible isn't how the world got its Bible, and, and sometimes, maybe you're like me, maybe um, you walked into a church, you know, 30 some odd years ago, and, and, and somebody held, held this up, and, and it became um, intimidating. Uh, there's, there's a lot in it. Um, it, it. It has now been um, synthesized and, and coded, and there's maps and indexes and all different kinds of things in here, and it, and it becomes a little bit um, daunting. Maybe you grew up on a lot of Bible stories, and, and you heard the Bible stories when you were young, and, and then when you got older, um, you started questioning and saying, well, maybe there's, maybe there's things in here that, that kind of challenge my thinking now. Does God really say this, or does he really intend for us to do those things? So what, in, the, in the process of, of following, what I decided is let's, let's, let's just pretend like that there's a blank parchment out there. There's a blank parchment that, that what's, what's in our Bible today is significant, I believe it, it it's life-changing. All of those things uh, happened, you know, for me and through, through that text. But as I got older, I started thinking about how, just, how intimidating does, just how intimidating does it get and how do, we, how do we move people into it in such a way that they're comfortable with it and, and can, can, can embrace it in our lives. So we started with some caveats last week. And I want to give you the caveats right, right up front so that you know where we're coming from. And number one, it's acceptable if you don't believe, understand, or follow everything that's going on in the Bible. It's acceptable to do that. It, 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 like I said, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes, and we wonder uh, just exactly what its, what its intent regarding some of its content is. So it's acceptable if, if you don't believe, understand, or follow everything that's going on in the Bible right now. Number two, everything in the Bible isn't applicable to your life in 2020. There, there, are things, there are things in here that some people stumble over with respect to what's in the Old Testament or what's called the Old Covenant, and, and there are things in the Old Covenant that aren't necessarily directly applicable to your daily lives today. That's okay that if you are confused by some of those things or you wonder whether or not they apply, not everything applies. And then, and then lastly, um, everything in the Bible is there to ensure two things, that you know God is approachable um, and you can have a relationship with him through Christ. The, the overall intent and content of this document is really that you know God is approachable and that you can have a relationship with him. Now, last week, we talked about the first part of the follow process as a company. We looked at the story of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus came along to his tax collector's table and said, hey, follow me. Matthew got up immediately and followed him, and we explained all the reasons why we think Matthew may have followed Jesus at, at that point in time. 
This week, I want to look at the other side of the coin. You know, we, we know that in following, there are things that we do. There are things that I did when I began to follow. But there's also another side to the coin. Whenever you flip a coin, it can be heads or tails. And this week, we want to look at, you know, when we're, when we're walking through what Matthew walked through last week, when we're walking through the fact that, that Jesus is approachable or that he allows you to accompany him, what's God doing on the other side? Have you ever wondered that? You know, what is God doing while I'm walking my part of this walk? What's happening on the other side of the equation? And so I want to look at that this morning, and, and it comes from a writer by the name of John who spent three and a half years with Jesus during his public ministry um, before his, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then he began to follow Jesus um, you know, after he was resurrected. So let's, let's give us the, I want to give you the antiquity timeline again, all right? The antiquity timeline that we looked at last week was, is that Jesus was born um, probably in around 3 B.C., um, his public ministry was about 33 years, and then about 30 AD was Christ's resurrection. And then for a period of time, for a period of time, there were these writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All, all these men uh, began to write their account or their eyewitness version of what they had seen or what they had heard regarding Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at one of those writers who wrote during this period of time, and all of those writings took place between 30 AD and about 100 AD. We didn't see the first Bible until about 400 AD. It was put together by St. Saint, Saint Jerome. So we're, we're looking at a good 300 plus years before there's even a Bible. And, and, and what we're, what we're going to look at this morning is, is a little bit of the, of the writing of a man by the name of John. He was the Apostle John. He called himself the one who Jesus loved. And, and here's, here's how it starts. This morning it says, On the following day, John the baptizer was again standing with two of his disciples. Now for... For clarification's sake, this John the baptizer is not the same John that wrote the book. John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, as he's referred to, is one that's called the forerunner. He, he was the one that was charged by God to sort of put down the runway for uh, Jesus' arrival, for Christ's arrival. He was the one that laid the foundation and, and was the public voice for in, in anticipation of Jesus. And, and so he's doing his ministry, and he looked, he looked straight at Jesus as he walked along and said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's, he's with a couple of his disciples. He's with a couple of people that are following John, the baptizer. And, and he stops and he points directly at Jesus and he tells his two disciples, he says the two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. So what happens here is that there's a, there's a spiritual handoff. The, these, these men are following John the Baptist and John the Baptist says, this man is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And immediately, those two, those two men stopped following John the Baptist, and they started following, they started following Jesus. And, and here's, here's the key. What, what is God doing on the other side? See, whenever, whenever there's an interest on our part, whenever there's an interest on our part, I think God, what God does on his side is he, he always provides some kind of a motivational teacher. Sometimes. 
Keep going. One more. There we go. God's part of the following process it includes providing a motivational teacher. See, what happens is when there's this, when there's this and maybe you've experienced, hope you've experienced, I experienced it, when, whenever we begin to be intrigued by the person of Jesus, there's, there's something that clicks inside of us. It, it may not be a, a full-blown spiritual ignition, but, but there's something, there's a, there's a, there's a switch that's flipped. And, and when, that, when that switch is flipped, just like these two disciples, when they saw that or heard that this is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there was a switch that, that, that clicked on. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that in your life, like in my life, that when, when you begin to have this spiritual inkling or this spiritual angst or this kind of flicker inside you, the thing that's going to happen and that what God does right away is that he provides some kind of a motivational teacher. When there's an interest, God provides an instructor. When there's an interest, God provides an instructor. He's always, he's always faithful in that regard. You know, and, and I, can look I can look back at my life on my spiritual journey and say, wow, there was this spark of interest and and I showed up in a church and and right away there was this there was this connection between between me and and the the pastor that was speaking now when I say motivational teacher I I don't mean someone that's um high-powered I don't mean someone that's, you know, over the top, you know, inspirational, someone that, you know, when it's all done, you just, you know, your, your head's ringing and you're saying, good talk, gosh, that was awesome, I can't wait to be back next week. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about motivational teachers, I'm talking about teachers who do this. They put the groceries where you can reach them. In, in other words, a motivational teacher is someone who, who presents things in such a way that they're, they're embraceable. They, they, they aren't someone who, who teaches down, but they reach out in their teaching. And, and when you begin to think about motivational teachers, motivational teachers are, are pretty much, um, they're, they're heartfelt and not heady. You can tell that there are people that, that have actually been through some kind of a, a life transformation. And, and what they're doing is they're sharing with you the story of how God dynamically changed their lives. Because isn't, isn't that what you want? Don't, 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 don't you want to know that, that when you're being taught, that you're being taught because someone has experienced a spiritual change, not just someone that can pass on a whole bunch of information and make you feel overloaded in the process. And I, and I think practical teaching, practical teaching for the most part is not information. Practical teaching is, let me give you something and, and then let you act on it during the week. What's interesting about this text this morning is that, is that John the Baptist, when he was looking at Jesus, 
he said to his disciples, there's the lamb of, the lamb of, yeah, an hour's less sleep affects us sometimes, <laughs> you know. There, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You, you know what John the Baptist was doing? John, John the Baptist was, in fact, being a motivational teacher and a practical teacher at that point in time. Because everybody in the nation of Israel knew what the Lamb of God was. Everybody knew that the Lamb of God had to do with lambs that were sacrificed on an annual basis for the covering of sins for not only the nation, but the individual for the whole year. So when, 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 when John the Baptist says there's the Lamb of God, he's not talking over their heads. He's given, he's given it to them right in the eyeballs saying, you know, they're, they're, you understand the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is something that is part of the faith life that we have. And what he's, what he's saying is that, that that faith life now, there's going to be a transition. There's going to be a transition from lambs that are sacrificed, from the repetitive, annual, never-ending sacrifice of animals. He says that Lamb of God has now come in the form of a person. And, and what happens? Two of those disciples immediately say, bye, John. We're, we're headed in this direction. And why, and why did it happen? It, it, it happened because John provided them motivation in his teaching. And he was, he was selfless in the process. You know, some, sometimes, you know, t- teachers say, you know, if I, have, if I have students or I have disciples or I have people that are following me, what's the first thought? The first thought is that, you know, if they're, if they're gathering around me, I want them to continue to gather around me. I want the notoriety. I want the popularity. I want the attention. I want all the, all the bells and whistles that go with that. But John the Baptist, you know, being a motivational teacher says, I'm going to release you because my, my purpose wasn't to be your salvation. My, my purpose was to hand you off to salvation. And, and, and he willingly, he willingly let those people that were following him go. And so we have, we have this, this thing going on in the background where, you know, we're walking through certain, certain things and God is doing certain things. And like I said, one of the things he does is he provides motivational teachers. I think the next thing he does is he provides providential relationships. Providential relationships. Here's what the text says. So they went and saw where he was staying. They went and saw where Jesus was staying. Um, and remained with him the rest of the day. It was then about four o'clock in the afternoon. Continuing on, it says, one of the two men who had heard that John, what John said and had followed Jesus was Andrew. Okay, so one of the two people that John the Baptist said, there's Jesus, follow him, he's the Lamb of God, was Andrew, who happened to be Simon Peter's brother. He went straight off and found his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah. We found, we found the Christ. So what's, what's happened now is, is that not only has there been a motivational teacher, there's, there's a providential relationship being, being put in place right now. Andrew providentially, not coincidentally, not accidentally, but intentionally went and found his brother Simon. And, and here's what happens. 
He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked steadily at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. From now on, you'll be called Cephas. That is Peter, meaning a rock. This is important. On, on your spiritual journey, there will be people that step into your life at just the right time, at just the right moment, with just the right words and at just the right place, and you will say to yourself, sometimes with goosebumps, this person is providential in my life. I know for me, walking through life early on in the follow process, I, I, I look at things differently now. Because here's what happens. Sometimes we are so busy with life as we're on this spiritual journey. So, sometimes we're, con we're consumed with our schedules. We're consumed with our calendar. We're consumed with work. We're consumed with family. We're, we're consumed, we're consumed, we're consumed, and there's a lot of consuming going on out around us right now. And what we forget is that spiritual enterprise is taking place all around us, even unbeknownst to us at that particular point and all the things that are happening. And you know what happens? We don't see it until we look back. And we say, ah, I should have had a V8. I missed it. I missed it. And, 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 and what's interesting is who those people are. Sometimes they step out of the blue. In, in my case, it was my bride. I was um, far away from God, had, had no concept, didn't even care who God was. As a matter of fact, when, when we were um, dating, um, courting, do they call it courting anymore, by the way? <laughs> I've heard of speed dating, you know, and that kind of stuff, but the, the courting, courting probably is speed dating that takes a little longer. Or is, that, is that fair? So we were, we, were, we were courting, and, and you know, our relationship was developing, but it, but it never developed along any spiritual lines whatsoever. It, it, was, it was more about blending family, um, occupational endeavors. Um, when is the next time that we can sit down and talk through where we're going to go in life, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And then one day, one day, all right, w one day, Rhonda said to me, do you happen to believe in God? And my response was profound, all right? I said, there's got to be something out there. And that was good enough. She said, let's get married. She didn't really. But, but, but listen. Listen. I didn't know at the time that, that she had a relationship with Christ and that she was part of a church and that there had been a train wreck in her life 
and, and because of that train wreck and because of the hurt, a lot of it caused, pardon me, some measure of it caused by the church that, that she said, you know what? The, the, way, the way I'm being treated doesn't feel consistent with what's in here. And she slid off the tracks a little bit. See, I thought we were just courting. I thought we were just dating. I thought we were just moving into a marriage relationship. And that was all true. But I have to believe, looking back, that, that she, in form, was a providential relationship that stepped into, walked into, and encouraged me into just looking a little bit more at this thing called the spiritual journey. Maybe you can think of people, or, or, or maybe there are people around you right now who, just, just based on what I've said, you're looking at them or thinking about them differently, saying, you know what, that, that, that person may be that person may be one of the God-designed, God-delivered uh, providential relationships that's walked into my life um, to, to spur me on, to, to ask me the questions, to uh, kind of help me flip the switch and be able to look at things and recognize things maybe in a different manner and in a different fashion. And, and I've got to tell you, don't disregard the little cues that you get from people around you that might just be providential. And so what, is, what does the church do with that? What does the church do with that? You know, the church, the church by and large can't provide providential relationships. You know, it, we, we, can't, we can't have people come, or we don't see people come through the front door and say, well, well, there's Mac, and I think the providential relationship with Mac should be Bill. Let's put Mac and Bill together, and providentially, they'll. It doesn't happen that way. It, it doesn't happen that way, because, see, that would be a designed relationship, or a phony relationship, or a created relationship, and what we're talking about is providential relationships. And, and so what does the church do? What, is, what does the church do with regard to those relationships that know, develop? And, and here's what I think. I, I think we have a responsibility, being the rock or any church for that matter, in, not that we create providential relationships, but that we encourage relationships in such a way that, that connections can be made. And so I think the church has a responsibility to create environments, to create environments where relationships uh, can be developed. The Sunday morning here is, is a place where we ask you to come and gather and invite. Why? It be, because there's, a, there's an opportunity, there's a chance that a providential relationship could begin here. There, there's a chance that you could run into somebody here just quite coincidentally, no, providentially, that you're, you're in the line getting you know solid rock cafe food and you strike up this dialogue and all of a sudden you find out, wow, this, this person's dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with. Or th this person is, is 
is a single mom or a single dad, and I'm a single mom or a single dad, and all of a sudden, boom, there's this connection. And the connection is, isn't something we created. The connection is something that God created. And, and that's, that's why you're here. You're here to rub elbows. You're, you're here to enter into dynamic maybe conversations with people that you've never seen, you've never met, for one reason and one reason only. And that's to find out, do we have anything in common? And when we do, it, it becomes this enormous weight being lifted off of us because we realize maybe for the first time or the first time all over again that you know there are people that are actually dealing with what I'm dealing with and this is a safe place for them it must be a safe place for me encouraging you to be watching for something called starting point. We're gonna implement it after, after Easter. Uh, starting point is an eight-week conversation about faith. It's not a class, it's a conversation. It, it's, it's a place where providential relationships can potentially be established. And it, it's a safe place, it's, it's a place where you can gather it's a place where you can come and you can be unafraid to ask all the questions that you want to ask about where you are in your journey. How, how am I doing? What are the essential elements uh, of a faith life? And, you know, is God embracing me in spite of where I've been or what I've done or any of the things that you might feel would hold you back? Because, because providentially, God will do something there. And what he does is he, you'll find that he eventually embraces you through people who would love to embrace you because they're providentially connected. And so, what, you know, as we're walking through the process, God's doing some stuff. He, he's providing teachers that, that hopefully uh, spur you on because faith life is, it seems like it's approachable and reachable. He also provides providential relationships where you just say, this is a God connect. I never really thought it would happen, but it's happening. And he does one more thing. And, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna grind this out, okay? Listen to me. I'm gonna grind this out for the rest of the time we're together this morning. Are you okay? No, no, you got to tell me you're okay, otherwise we'll just go now. Okay. Oh, come on. God's part of the follow process includes providing inspirational dot connecting. Inspirational dot connecting. What in the world is that? It, it's, it's connecting spiritual dots. Be, because in, in here, in here, uh, are lots of things, lots of themes, lo lots of challenges to be understood. But, but we're not here yet. We're not here yet. And so what's, hap what's happening in this writing, what's happening in the writing that we're looking at from this person by the name of John, it's not scripture yet. It's, it's simply a handwritten account of what he saw about following Jesus and the people that followed Jesus. 
And, and what, what happens with us, like what happened with me early on in the spiritual process, is that there was so much. I didn't know what was important. I didn't, I didn't know what dots to connect be, because um, it, it just seemed like the, the whole document was overwhelming. And, and so I, I want to help us work through what John is just about to communicate with us to say, let's help connect the dots, all right? Wouldn't you like some dots connected this morning? No? Yeah, well, okay, so here's what we'll do. This, this is what it says. The following day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Before he had found Andrew, who was Simon, Peter's brother, this day he goes to Galilee and he finds Philip and he says to him what? Follow me. Seems to be a theme. All right? Told Matthew, follow me. All right? Told Andrew, follow me. Andrew went and fetched his brother. Now, now, he comes to, now he comes to Philip and says, follow me. And it says, Philip was a man from Bethsaida, the town that Andrew and Peter came, Peter came from. So there's, see, the, again, the providential relationships still happen. There's still, there's still this amazing connection. And, and now Philip found Nathaniel, who was a friend, and, and told him, we have, now watch, we have discovered the man whom Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote also. He is Jesus, the son of Joseph, and comes from Nazareth. I love Nathaniel's response. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Nathaniel retorted, retorted Nathaniel, and Philip says, you come and see. You come and see. You know, you know what it would be, be like, and, and, and please excuse me in advance if you're from here, okay? It would, be, it would be me like me getting up on a Sunday morning and somebody saying, you know, the Lamb of God, the one whom Moses, the law, and the prophets talked about came from Wadsworth. Sorry, I... Because we, we have this, we have this sometimes cynical, um, myopic, um, narrow view of people based on their origin or background or city of reputation or whatever, whatever it might be. And I'm so passionate about this. You know what you know what John is doing? He's beginning. Now listen. He's beginning to connect the spiritual dots. Because now all of a sudden we we don't have a Bible. We don't have a Bible. We we have Let's just pretend like all the, these are all my rock talks since uh, December 22nd, all right? Not a whole lot to shout about, okay? Let's, let's, pretend like, let's pretend like that my rock talks since January or December 22nd um, were synonymous with 
John's writings, Matthew's writings, Luke's writings, Mark's writings. They're, they're, they're just they're eyewitness accounts. They're just they're documentations. They're accounts of their actually following Jesus. They're, they're accounts of what the followers of Jesus did. They're, they're accounts of what they witnessed firsthand. And, and, what, and what, what these documents then, these documents then began to have this um, snowball effect. But pe- people started people started hearing these being read and then then these documents started being copied verbatim by hand and they began to be passed around to other people now remember there there was there was no bible there at this t- at the time we're talking about right now there was no christians and there was no church none, none of that existed we we just have this eyewitness accounts of what jesus is doing and they're following it as closely as they could possibly follow it and 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 what we've got is we've got a story. We've got a story that's beginning to develop. It's, like, it's kind of like breaking news in the newspaper, if they still publish newspapers. I'm not, I'm not really sure. The, the headlines, the headlines would be, the, the headlines would be, we found him. We've discovered the man. We found the man that Moses wrote about in the law and in the prophets. Um, and his name, is, his name is Jesus, the son of Joseph, and he comes from Nazareth. And then, they, the, and then Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there, really? And so what we've got, now listen, what we've got, it is we've got these fellows writing. We've got these fellows writing. And, and then John all of a sudden throws into the mix this thing called the law and the prophets. It, it was a story. The law and the prophets were already an accomplished piece of work. The, the books of Moses were in the Law and the Prophets. All, all, all of the prophets were in the Law and the Prophets. All the David stories, all the stories about the history of the nation of Israel. It wasn't, it wasn't the Bible yet. It was just called the Law and the Prophets. And, and then somehow, somehow, God, God begins this process of, of, taking, of taking what was being written at the time way before the Bible, 200, 300 years before the Bible even shows up. We have these writers that are all of a sudden saying, you know, there's something about the law and the prophets. And what we begin to see is we begin to see their writings laid on top of the law and the prophets. No Bible. No Christians, at least at the time we're talking about right now. And no church. So, what's all the fuss about? The fuss is about a resurrection. See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't, they wouldn't have written, they wouldn't have written what they wrote unless there was something worth writing about. 
And what were they writing about? They were writing about and, and working their way towards this thing that would happen at the end of each one of their books or each one of their accounts or each one of their journals. And what happened at the, each one of the, at the end of each one of their journals was there was this resurrection. And everything is leading up to this resurrection. And I've got to tell you, there, there would be no Bible. There would be no Bible today if there was no Jesus and no resurrection. See, the Bible didn't start with the Old Testament. The Bible didn't start with the law and the prophets. The Bible started with Jesus' resurrection. If there had been no resurrection, there, there would have been no reason to take what was written at that point in time because who's going to write passionately, prolifically, energetically, spiritually, onward and onward and onward if there was a dead man at the end? Nobody. And so what happens is, is God's, you know, working his way through a process. And what the process is that he's working through. See, I said early on, you know, we didn't get our Bible the same way the world got its Bible. We, we got our Bible by purchasing it. The, God, the world got its Bible because God worked us through a process. And the process is important. As a matter of fact, the story of how we got our Bible is almost as important as the stories that are in the Bible. And sometimes we discount the stories in the Bible because we, we don't understand how we got our Bible. And this is what happens. What, what, happened, what happened is that the writers of that time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, two Gentiles, two, two Jews, all right? They, they, be, they began to make connections between what they were seeing and what they were experiencing with the law and the prophets. They, they, they began to recognize that in the law and the prophets. See, they weren't, they weren't interested in the law and the prophets because they were interested in Judaism. They weren't interested in the law and the prophets because they were interested in the Ten Commandments. They weren't interested in the law and the prophets because they were interested in the 613 commandments or the directions of the Torah. They, they weren't interested in all the failed attempts that the prophets had regarding trying to warn the nation of Israel. They weren't interested in any of that. You know what they were interested in? They were really primary. They didn't want the Jewish religion. You know what they wanted in the law and the prophets? They wanted to find, now listen, Jesus. Because he's predicted. And, and they began to make the connection. They, they began to discover that what we're seeing is actually God motivating us through teaching, providential relationships, and beginning to connect the dots, beginning to connect the dots of history. Why? 
so we would have faith in their accounts. This is from this is this is another writer who, whose writings eventually became part of the New Testament. It, it comes from Hebrews. And, it, and it's, it's, it's one section, one, se- one section of a document that when it was written, whoever the writer was, we don't know, whoever the writer was knew that there was providential dots to connect. And, and this is what it says in Hebrews 10, five through eight. In the volume of books, it is written of me. In other words, this, this, this is telling the story of Jesus and what Jesus would be saying. In, in the volume of books, it is written of me in the law. He is dispensing with or exempting you from the old over of sacrifices which are made according to the law. It's the old order of sacrifices, not over of sacrifices. And so we've got, we've got the Hebrew writer saying, in the volume of books, it is written of me. In the volume of books, it is written of me. In the Law and the Prophets, not yet part of the Bible, this writer is saying, in here are things written about Jesus that he is dispensing with or exempting you from the old order of sacrifices which are made according to the law. The prophets talked about it. The prophets talked about the fact that there would be, if you look at just at Isaiah 53 alone, 53, one through six, go home this afternoon or when you leave here and read it. It, it, it's, It's the prophet predicting Jesus. And then he continues on in the writing. And establishing a new order of obedience. And in that, we will have been made holy by the single unique offering of the body of Christ. God God doesn't want us to pursue Judaism. God doesn't want us to become Jewish first before we follow Jesus. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't want us chasing after things that are so obsolete now. I'm, I'm just, I just want to tell you that the, the law is obsolete in your life. It doesn't apply. It says right there that there's a new order. It's a new order. We're, we're, no longer, we're no longer bound up in, pardon the expression, in our tidy whities about things that are part of the law. Are, are they important? Absolutely they are. But they, they were important because th- they were a runway to where we are now. They weren't the launch. That, that's what God gave the nation of Israel at that point in time. But he says very clearly in Hebrews, he's dispensing with, he's exempting you from the law. 
But he's also saying that what the prophets were talking about was still incomplete. It hadn't happened. They, they talked providentially that it would happen. And when Christ arrives, it says, there's a new order. All the old is gone. All the new has come. And, and this can be a stumbling block or it can be a start to a whole new, different, and unique spiritual journey. You know, last week we talked about accompanying Jesus. The first part of the follow process. This week, it's not about accompanying him. It's about acknowledging who he is. Not was, but is. Because see, he's not dead. He's resurrected. He's alive. He's at the right hand of God. Have you in your life maybe been accompanying him for a while? You know, kicking spiritual tires, trying to find your way. Maybe it's the next part of the follow for you. It, it's acknowledging that he started something new. That he made a single, unique offering of his body for you. We're going to talk about this so much more in the weeks to come. I, I think it's just amazing the story that's being written way ahead of the Bible. But the story that's being written not, not about people. But honestly, about you. This, this is a journey for you. In our prayer, my prayer, is that if, if you have never acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one that was talked about by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, that maybe today's the day where you say, I'm gonna acknowledge that because I want my spiritual life and journey to take off, to become something supernatural, to become something over the, over the top, above the ordinary. Because you gotta believe, you just gotta believe that you are not here, you are not in this room this morning because it's coincidence. You're here providentially because God wants to move you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And I pray this morning that
that you give us all a sense that when we talk about your working in the world, that it's real, it's relational, and it's relevant to all the lives that are here. And I pray too for this, this morning, I pray for people that maybe are here and for the first time they have had some help connecting the spiritual dots and that you want them to acknowledge that, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one in whom there is life because there's been one sacrifice once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, and simply by believing in that, we can have a relationship with you. And so we're grateful that first of all, you found us, just like you found Nathaniel and Andrew and Simon and Philip, that you're in constant pursuit of us. And we're grateful for that. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, normally um, at the end of a talk, um, we do a kind of a stand and shout song. Um, we're not going to do that today. Today we're going to end with um, a song, I Found You. And it's really a sit and just soak this in. Just sit and soak this in. And when it's all done, Brett will be back and close us out.